The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Seven this afternoon, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Proverbs chapter 27. You can kind of see there on the screen it's broken up. Uh, we're not covering every verse of Proverbs 27, 1 through 17. We'll cover the rest next week. Proverbs chapter 27, beginning in verse 1. So let's now give our attention to God as he speaks to us, his people, from his holy inspired word, which is altogether righteous, pure, wise. Proverbs 27, beginning in verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. One who is full loathes honey. But to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. And then jumping down to verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. A continual dripping on a rainy day in a quarrelsome wife or a light. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. Iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. This concludes the reading of God's word. May God be pleased to add the power of his spirit and bless his word to us. Well, if you were to consider... What makes a true friend? What would you say? Perhaps it's someone that always encourages you and never criticizes you. You can kind of say whatever you want and there's no fear of any pushback. Somebody who never says anything difficult to you. Never says anything that's hurtful. Perhaps it's someone with whom you share the most in common and spend the most time with. Well, our passage today presents to us what a good and true friend is. And it may not be everything that you expected. And we're going to see three factors to consider for determining a true friend. Really, what kind of friends we should be. First is praise. The second is provocation. And the third is proven. So first, praise. And we begin with a misuse of praise. And really, in verse 1, it doesn't really fit into this topic of friendship, but you know, so it goes. So verse 1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. 
So this word for boast is the same word used in verse 2 for praise. And this is talking about praising tomorrow. And not merely the very next day, but the future. It's to assume that good days lie ahead for you. And we see the world do this all the time. From businesses, to sports teams, to the name it and claim it movement in religious circles. Our team is going to win. We are going to do it. Our company is going to take off. The future is bright. If you just believe, then good things will come. And we do this at the beginning of each year, don't we? Oh, New Year. This year is going to be great. Is it ever great? We don't know what's going to happen. But this is our way of dealing with hardship. It's to put our hope in a better tomorrow in this world. But the proverb here calls us not to praise or boast about the future as if everything we want for our blessing is going to happen. And the reason given, we see in our verse, you do not know what a day may bring. Because we're finite, we're confined to time and space, we do not know what is going to happen tomorrow. In fact, we don't even know if we will live another day. Really, this could be our very last day on earth. There's no promise that we're going to live tomorrow. I still remember the person that he got a, a seminary education, I believe at Master Seminary, went through it, and you know had a, a ministry waiting for him. And he went up, got his degree, switched the tassel, and dropped dead. If he knew that was going to happen, he probably wouldn't have gone through all of that. We just don't know what a day is going to bring. Now, this does not speak against planning and thinking ahead, which is prudent according to many of the Proverbs we have read. This proverb is not speaking against planning, but praising. Uh, this does not mean that you can't get excited or look forward to something, but it is to remind us to put things in perspective and remember our limitations. We don't know what's going to happen. We are finite, and death and calamity could be just a day away. We live in a sin-cursed world, and we really should, as we reflect on each day that death and calamity did not happen to us, we should be thankful. We should be grateful at the end of the day. Then verse 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. If there is going to be any praise for us, it is very unfitting for it to come from our own lips. Rather, it should come from the lips of another. And this even says a stranger. A stranger is someone who doesn't really know you, who's not biased towards you, like a family member or friend. But this person is able to recognize your good work and character. If your character and works are praiseworthy, then a stranger should be able to quickly recognize it and speak of it. And if this is the case for a stranger, then a good and true friend will also speak words of encouragement to you. And if you're a good friend, you should speak words of encouragement to your friends. But constant praise and affirmation does not fit this bill. Jumping down to verse 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice 
rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. So blessing with a loud voice indicates that this is overbearing and this is an exaggeration. And doing it first thing in the morning means that this one's quick to do it. That it's the very first thing that this person does without any consideration. And this conveys that it's not genuine. And hence, it is regarded as not a blessing, but even a curse. It's just overdone theatrics. And this is hinted at in verse 7, where it says, One who is full loathes honey, but to one who is hungry, everything bitter is sweet. Now here, we do have a principle that communicates moderation is key to enjoyment. Too much of even a really good thing, which really good thing back then was honey, can lose its effect so you no longer want it. And this is certainly true with material blessings, but given the context, I think this could also refer to too much praise. Too much of it loses its effect, as does too much rebuke. You know, if all someone does is point out fault and criticize, and can never overlook an insult or cover a multitude of sins, then that person is an overbearing Pharisee. And it's going to lose their effect when they actually do bring correction. But we should not expect to always receive encouraging words and praise. And this brings us to the second factor to consider for determining a true friend. So we just saw praise. Second is provocation. Uh, There are things that are not so easy for us to hear and can provoke us. But as we will see, just because they provoke us does not automatically make them bad. Verse 3, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. So this proverb begins with material things that we know are heavy. A stone, sand that's collected, think of a sandbag, obviously heavy. But just as these material things are weighty, so is a fool's provocation, metaphorically. His insults, his jabs, his anger, his slander can really weigh on us. It can affect us and make us want to push back with the same kind of insults, with the same kind of behavior, and trying to defend ourselves and We need to keep that in mind. It's like, oh, this fool is provoking me. It's heavy. And to be on our guard and be ready to resist. We need to recognize this when we feel the weight and the temptation to respond in like manner. But if you think anger is bad, bad, there is something even worse. And that is jealousy. Look at verse 4. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? So wrath and anger from a fool is cruel. It can be overwhelming like a flood. But greater than both is jealousy. Now jealousy is a very strong and consuming desire for something. Sometimes it's good, like appropriate marital love, and wanting to see God get glory and not man. And so an insulting comment might stir up an angry response. It can be more easier to smooth over, but breaking a marriage covenant to commit an adultery with another spouse crosses the line into another realm. Now, bad jealousy is a very strong and idolatrous desire for something 
that you want so badly that you're willing to sin and kill for it. James 4 talks about this. Why are you fighting and quarreling? Because you have these desires that wage war within. That is bad jealousy. And so someone may be angry over an offense, but you touch their idol, you tip that sacred golden calf, they want comfort, they want ease, they want glory of their own, and you will experience the worst kind of wrath that they have. And it could be, given the context with regards to praise, that the reason we get easily provoked is because we have this bad jealousy. And we want our own glory and praise. But then there are things that might provoke us that are not bad things. Verses 5-6. through six. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. <clears throat> Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So open rebuke here does not necessarily mean public rebuke. It means that the person is open and honest. That this person is frank. You can have an open conversation and correction, give correction. And this is said to be better than hidden love. Now the contrast here is it between rebuke and love, as if those two things are in opposition. Rather, the contrast here is between open and hidden. This proverb is praising openness over concealment when it comes to the need for rebuke or correction. It is obvious that rebuke is better than hiding something evil, but open rebuke is even better than hiding something really good, such as love. And the reason we would be hesitant to give correction is because the wounds might bring, it might, it might bring wounds. It's not pleasant to hear ways in which we are wrong. It's not pleasant to hear where we are lacking in righteousness. We have no problem hearing praise. It encourages us, but hearing where we have failed is hard and can discourage us. But these wounds that we feel inside when criticized or corrected from a friend are faithful. While they may hurt or be difficult to hear, they can be depended upon and trusted as something that is for our good. The enemy, however, will multiply his praises and his smooth talk like the kisses of an enemy. He really does not love you as much as he loves ease and affirmation. He is often insecure. He has a hard time with criticism and feeds off of approval of others. And this is why he praises you, because he wants you to approve of him. He wants him. But this is not a true friend. This is a shallow friendship at best where you cannot be open and honest with this person. In fact, one of the reasons you, you may be afraid to ever rebuke or correct this person is because you sense it's going to strain the relationship. And you're probably right about that. He only wants affirmation and can't handle correction or rebuke. And so the relationship remains shallow. And true friendship, but a true friendship is one that verse 17 describes. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Now, many of us in here hunt, and we know the importance of having a sharp knife 
when it comes to field dressing an animal or processing an animal. Having a dull knife is useless. And so one of the most important things you can have in the field is a sharpener in order to sharpen that knife again. And what is a sharpener? It's simply something that's metal that you rub a metal knife on. It's metal on metal, and that actually sharpens the blade so that it does not remain dull. Well, this is the way it is when it comes to being sharpened. That is, when it comes to growing in knowledge and our application of that knowledge. Just as iron striking iron creates some friction and tension, so can some of the sharpening discussions we have over truth and practices. It's not merely sin that creates friction and tension. It could be a sharpening discussion. Although it certainly can exacerbate, sin can exacerbate tension and create unnecessary friction and tension, yet sharpening one another, while it's not always pleasant and can be challenging, is beneficial. And it is all the more beneficial when you know the person cares. Look at verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Just as these luxurious items are precious and glad in the heart, so is a friend's counsel when it comes from the heart. Literally, this says uh, counsel from the soul. And it's the idea of, my, I really care for you, and I'm giving you my heart here. I'm giving you counsel for my heart that I know is for your good. It may not be what we want to hear. It may be difficult to hear. But if it comes from a heart that cares and wants to see what is best for us, then it should be sweet. And so may we be those who back up our counsel with clear evidence of concern. And this can especially be true in a marriage. Look at verses 15 through 16. A continual dripping on a rainy day in a quarrelsome wife or alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. <clears throat> now before explaining these verses here, I just want to take a brief moment to address why we see a lot of verses about a quarrelsome wife. Because some may say, hey, wait a minute. It only talks about the wife and never the husband. And if there's going to be equality, then it should talk about the husband as much as the wife. But I haven't seen one verse on the husband. Why is that? Well, it's important not to read our modern assumptions or 21st century culture into this. We have to keep in mind that their culture 3,000 years ago was different than ours. A woman's role in identity back then was being a wife. She was typically married around age 13. And businesses were ran out of the home and not outside the home like corporations are today. And so when a business ran, is ran outside of the home, a woman was really completely tied to her home, to her family and in helping her husband with the family business. And also back then, women did not have interaction with, with men just in society. We think about Jesus talking to that woman at the well, and the disciples were like, whoa, what's going on? 
That's because that culture back then, men and women did not talk to one another. It was really a social shame to do so back then. See, in our culture, it's just both are just out and about, you know, in, in the business world and also just in society. That's not their culture uh, back then. Also, if you notice, the sin that keeps coming up is quarreling, is being contentious. Well, since women did not have interaction with men in society and really didn't have much interaction outside of that, and even being contentious would be something very, very shameful in that society, if she's going to be contentious, it's going to be in the home with her husband. Uh, They were more prone to secret sins, like doing this at home or gossip, than they were uh, having quarrels outside uh, the home in society that would in that society that would have been very shameful. Now, husbands are addressed in that they're called not to be a fool. That's because men in that society uh, they had uh, they were much more involved in social life outside the home, and so by telling him to control his temper, not be a drunkard, not be lazy, not make reckless business decisions. Uh, giving security for a neighbor, he's being addressed as a husband and in all these other roles and responsibilities in that society. And so the vexation or contention of a fool is known in the home and throughout society of, of a man. But the vexation or contention of a wife, this particular sin, would have been felt primarily in the home by her husband. And so we read again of how a foolish woman affects her home. It's like a continual dripping on a rainy day. And this describes a leaky roof of a home. It's not as destructive as a flood, but it's a persistent trial that spoils a home. And the husband may keep silent about it, not say much about it, but it's nevertheless uh, affecting him. And he can also feel quite helpless about it. As verse 16 says, to restrain a foolish and vexing wife is futile. It's described as trying to restrain the wind, which is impossible, and to restrain oil. And the more you squeeze, the more the oil slips out of the hand. And so we need to recognize, both husband and wife, that we have a responsibility to love our neighbor as ourselves, even our closest neighbor. And so... If you're a believing wife in here with a husband who, although not perfect and still sinful, is not abusive, hear God's word here, which we have seen several times in Proverbs. He may not say much about this, but it does weigh on him. It's not being a blessing to your closest neighbor, which God requires out of all his image bearers. Do you represent more of a pharisaical legalist? who is constantly critical, easily offended, who withholds love and blessing until your husband gets it just right, keeping a record of wrongs that he needs to pay for and earn your blessing by his good works? Or do you represent Christ, who is gracious, who overlooks a multitude of your sins, and who gives his love and blessing to you, even though you will never deserve it. A third and final factor to consider for determining a true friend 
uh, we have seen first praise, second provocation, third proven. Verse 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. This is saying stick with your friends who are tried and true, who are proven, long-standing friends, and your father's friend. He's already shown himself proven to be a good friend. You can count on these friends. When you have a calamity, it's better to go to one of these friends than even a brother. And it's better to go to a neighbor who is near than family, than a family member. These are the ones that you can rely on. But speaking of a friend who is tried and true, I would be remiss if I did not talk about our greatest friend, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. As we see in Revelation, he speaks words of encouragement but also words of reproof. This is because, as he says, he reproves the one whom he loves. And so, from his word, he's going to correct us. We're going to hear rebuke from him. And at times, that's going to sting. That's going to hit us in the heart, and we're going to be convicted of our sin. Is that a bad thing? No, that comes from a friend who loves us. As he says, I reprove the one whom I love. And he is always honest and truthful. He cares for our soul. And so the counsel from his heart, which we have from his word, all these proverbs, even for our earthly good and blessing, comes to us and is sweet to our soul. And he is both our friend and our brother who came near to save us from our greatest calamity, the judgment for our sin. That would have been the day of calamity for us if. We did not come to Him, and if He did not come for us, but He came for us. We were dwelling in darkness, slaves to our sin, in bondage to His kingdom of darkness and this world. And we were on our way to eternal calamity. But this friend of ours laid down His life for us. Is there a greater friend than this? That he would take our calamity, the eternal wrath of God, so that when that day comes, we stand before him, holy and blameless and above reproach, clothed in his righteousness. He indeed is a friend, tried and true. He has proven that, and that he has laid down his life. He is faithful. Has he ever failed you? Has he ever forsaken you? Has he ever been unfaithful to you? Will he ever leave us or forsake us? Even when we fall into sin, he, his promise remains true. So may we wholeheartedly trust this friend in good times and in bad times. Because he laid down his life that we may forever enjoy his friendship. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your word. Your word rebukes us. Oh, and it can hurt and sting sometimes. But those are wounds from a faithful friend. You reprove and correct the one you love. And we know that it's not because you've given up on us. 
or that you're mad at us or turn your back on us, but rather because you love us and you use your word to grow us and to shape us. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It not only wounds, it also heals. And we thank you for that, Lord. Help us to receive it humbly and gratefully. And give us the grace we need to turn from our sin and to walk in your ways. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com. Dot com.